we are thankful for another opportunity to get to look in the Word of God and to try to study and try to dig out of the Word that would be a help and a strength to us and to you. We thank everyone that takes time out of their day to listen. We hope and pray that the Lord, through the Spirit, could strengthen and help each one of us to be more established in the truth by the hearing of His Word. We've been looking at the Feast of the Passover, one of seven Old Testament feasts that we're um, going to look at and study as it relates to the types and shadows of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're looking at the Passover in Exodus 12, the very first Passover, where we have the clearest direction of what all of this entails. And we got down through verse 6. So just a, a quick review of what we've covered. Um, this Passover was to escape Egypt and the rule and bondage of Pharaoh. And truly, that's the reason that the Lord sent Moses because the affliction had become so great upon the people that they began to cry out to God for deliverance and God raised up Moses and through this means he was going to free them from this bondage. And so uh, the last plague that's going to befall Egypt and you could call plague and I think that's the most uh, well-known term for all of these occurrences in Egypt but the judgment of God is coming upon the entire land of Egypt. And that's where Pharaoh is and where all the Egyptians are, as well as the land where the children of Israel is. The same judgment is coming upon all men. And in this case, it's the death of the firstborn in every house. Now, just reading the judgment and the plague that's to come, there's no hope for anybody till we come to the 12th chapter where we have the Passover given. And this provides a means for everyone that hears and believes the Word of God an opportunity to escape this judgment. Now that's exactly, in picture form, exactly what we are facing today with the preaching of the gospel, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the redemption of sinners. It's not Pharaoh that we're looking to get out from under, but there is a judgment of God upon all of mankind that of itself there's no hope of escape, but God provided our Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die that His blood would satisfy the wrath of God that we could escape this judgment that's to come, and not just the judgment, but escape the bondage of the devil and the kingdom of darkness, and be free, not free to sin, but free from the devil and a servant to the Lord, that that we never could have been of our own strength. And we've got up to verse 6, and we've looked at the timeline specifically, and you know, you've got all of the pictures, which I'm sure we're all familiar with, through the Old Testament. You've got Abraham and Isaac, and the sacrifice that God told Abraham to make with him, 
a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus. You've got Samson who killed more in his death than he did while he was alive. A picture of the victory of the Lord Jesus in his death. And many others. We could go on uh, forever and ever at the pictures and types and shadows as well as the prophecies. Isaiah 53 probably being one of the more vivid descriptions of the suffering of the servant of God on the cross. You've got all of these, but e even more than just telling and prophesying what's going to happen, God gave us the exact timeline that it was going to happen as well. Dates and times specifically that the Lord Jesus was going to be offered and he gave them to us here in this Passover feast. We talked about the tenth day in verse 4 that they would set aside the lamb that was going to die and on the tenth day of the very same month the Lord Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. On the fourteenth day in the evening they were to kill this lamb in preparation for the Passover meal. And on the day of preparation, the fourteenth day of the same month, the Lord Jesus was killed, and not just day, but he says here in verse 6, you'll kill it in the evening. Well, we know by the accounts of the Gospels that the Lord Jesus gave up the ghost sometime around the ninth hour, that would be three o'clock, in the evening of the fourteenth, the same time frame that the uh, high priest would be on the temple grounds killing the Passover lamb. So that the exact timeline fits so perfectly with the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and even more than that as we look onward in this scripture, God gave us the times that this would occur. There's, there's no mistaking by the prophecies, the types, the shadows, the timeline, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Messiah sent from God according to His plan to bring salvation to all of mankind. So we'll pick up in verse 7 of Exodus 12 and continue our look at the Passover. Uh, I'm going to read a couple verses together here, starting in verse 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. So now we have direction for what to do with the lamb after that he's slain. And just to paraphrase, you're going to take the blood that runs out of this lamb and you're going to strike it on the side posts of the door as well as the lintel of the door, the uh, overhead bar of the door. So that when you look at the door, there's blood on the sides and there's blood on the top. And this, I believe, a type and a shadow of an outward confession of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was something that everyone that passed by 
that looked upon the house, they could see and they could say they have kept the Passover. The blood has been applied. Judgment will not fall on them. It was a confession that was made to everybody else. And you know, you think about what all that confession entails. It confessed that they believed the word of God. They believed the judgment of God was coming. They believed that they were in danger of the judgment of God. And they believed that the Passover was sufficient to save them from this judgment. So that, and, and you know, that's not reading too much into it. I believe if you just think about it a little, that's exactly what this blood on the door of the house meant. To those that would pass by and look, they could infer every one of those things from this confession. Well, a confession today, and you know, I, I realize that for the most part you hear, well, if you believe, you're all right. And there is a multitude of people that think, well, I, I believe the Lord Jesus came and died, and I'm all right. But is there any outward confession more so than what comes from the lips of man? In Luke chapter 9 verse 26, this is very familiar scripture. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory, and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. So the Lord Jesus is saying, if if there's anybody that's ashamed of me, that my word is such a disgrace to them that you're unwilling to confess it before other men because of worry, <clears throat> of what they think, of what they say, because of the shame it brings upon your name to confess. If any man's ashamed, then the Lord's going to be ashamed of that person before God. So that we can infer this from this scripture. I believe here is the message. If what people have, if they don't have a salvation that will cause them to stand and tell of the redemption of God, then they don't have a salvation that will bring them through the judgment of God. The Lord Jesus says those that would be ashamed to stand and to confess my work in their heart before men, I'm going to be ashamed before the Father. So in, in Romans 10, and I, I realize a scripture that's very misused, and we don't intend to do that at all, but in Romans 10 and 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So in the depths of the heart, there's a work that goes on. A work of God, God's Spirit, God's Word, bringing that convincing of the man. And with the mouth, confession is made of what has went on in the heart. Now if there is no operation of God in the heart, then there's nothing to confess. But this confession is an outward display of what's going on in the heart. And it's 
it's not much different than baptism. Of a truth, baptism is very much an outward confession of what God has done in the heart of man. It's a picture to all of those round about that this person has been redeemed and saved. Now without salvation, the baptisms of no value to the soul. A man must be saved by the operation of God in the heart before any of this matters. Well, the confession as well, if there's no work of God, then what am I confessing of? This is a confession of what God's done. And the confession must be made by the Spirit. I, I would like that to be plain. It's not just, well, I believe, and I've said I believe, and that's good enough for me to be saved. But uh, we've read this scripture before, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So we've got a, a, a comparison here by Paul in Corinthians, letting us know just how sure and certain that this is. So Paul says, we know that by the Spirit, no man is going to stand up and say Jesus is accursed. Think about how absurd that would be for me to stand up in church on Sunday and confess before men that Jesus was not the Son of God. Now, could I do that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? There's no way. Well, in, in the same vein of thinking, I can't say Jesus is accursed by the Spirit. I can't say Jesus is Lord except the Spirit confess. So, this confession that must be made, the Holy Ghost is going to have to bear witness to the work that goes on in the heart. But in John, chapter 12, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, I believe we can see what he's saying here. Verse 42, John chapter 12. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So here was a people that was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. His works, His miracles those indications of who he was, they believed on who he was and what he said. But there was something that prevented them from acting on that. And it was that they were fearful of the Pharisees and they did not want to be cast out of the synagogue. And so that prevented them from openly and outwardly confessing that Jesus was the Son of God. And I believe by this scripture we can see that that prevented them from entering in to the kingdom of God as well. Without that confession of faith, without being willing to stand before men by the Holy Ghost and confess the work of God, there's no salvation. The desire 
for man's admiration overcame the desire for salvation in this case in John chapter 12. And I believe it does today as well. Pride is a great hindrance to man. It has been from the Garden of Eden and it still remains so today. Man desires to look good, to appear righteous before other men. Well, the Lord says without confession, it's not going to happen. You're not going to be saved. You're not going to be redeemed except a man be willing to confess that before other men. So what of all these that have no testimony, you could say, there's no confession of the work that God's done in their heart. Well, then there has been no work. There can't be a work without confession. There can't be salvation without the claiming of it. And you're not going to escape the judgment of God in Egypt without the blood on the door. That is a necessary part. Just as the belief in the heart, well, the confession with the mouth, the testimony of the Spirit goes right along with that same work. And so, not only this, but it gives direction as to how the lamb is to be cooked and eaten by the children of Israel. So he says, they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. So, roast with fire. It's not to be eaten raw. And it's not to be eaten sodden. So raw is, and you know, I believe the picture here is the Holy Spirit of God. We've got pictures of that in the New Testament, a very familiar scripture in Acts chapter 2 verse 3. When the Holy Ghost first comes upon the apostles, it is like as cloven tongues of fire. And so, the picture there, the Holy Spirit, like unto fire. John the Baptist and his confession of Jesus is that he's coming to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And I believe it's a, a very fitting inference that the fire in the Bible oftentimes a picture of the working of the Spirit of God among men. Remember the men on the road to Emmaus as Jesus spoke with them. Did not our hearts burn within us? And I believe anybody that's saved has had the experience of the burning fire of the Spirit of God down in the depths of the heart. And so here the lamb is to be eaten, roast with fire, the Holy Ghost must be present in order for us to be able to eat this lamb. You think about how repulsing it would be to sit down, and I guess some people can in the flesh, but to the majority to sit down and meet a flop a raw steak or a raw leg of lamb before you, how repulsing it would be to try to eat that raw not cooked whatsoever. Not only repulsing to the flesh, but dangerous as well to eat that that's uncooked. Well, the same way 
the Lord Jesus is repulsive to men outside of the Holy Spirit of God. It's repulsive for a man to think that he's as wicked as the evil of this world. It's repulsive of man, especially those that would consider themselves religious, to believe that they need to be saved. It's repulsive of man to think that he's in danger of the judgment. It's repulsive to think that God slew his son on the cross willingly, that I would need to be saved. It's not repulsive to think that somebody else needs to be saved. But for me and my need, that's repulsive to man. And the only way man's going to be able to eat that is if it's roasted with a fire of the Holy Spirit. This sacrifice of the Lord Jesus turns away man, and I believe we see that, especially in Isaiah 53, that we determined that he was despised. He was rejected. We couldn't hold our faces. We couldn't look upon his face. It was repulsive to us to think that we were in such a shape sinfully that we needed a Savior to die for us and that we ourselves needed to be saved. But you know, when God brought us that sacrifice, roasted with a fire of the Spirit, that burning of the Holy Ghost down in our soul, it convinced us of what we truly were before God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says of the preaching of the gospel, and this is a scripture that we looked at when we were studying the third chapter of John just a little while ago, but Paul says of his preaching, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul's preaching had to be by the Spirit of God. And outside of preaching in the Spirit, the faith of men is going to be in men. And so Paul, preaching by the Paul's preaching by the Spirit was done so that those that hear might be established in the truth of the Word of God. And outside of the Spirit, man is unable to eat the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus unto salvation. The preaching must be done in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. And we talked in John 3 that enticing words of man's wisdom, that may sound good, but what that is is sodden. It's sodden with water. And he says here, don't sodden with water. Don't water the Word of God down. Don't make it to be weaker so that it's easier and more palatable to eat. Man's got no place in any of this. 
and the, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus cannot be sodden. And so man must be removed from the equation and salvation is of the Lord and of the Lord alone. The preacher has no control over who's going to come and truly be saved. It's a work of God and of the Holy Ghost in the heart of those that hear the Word of God. Though I can call by name and though man can shame to the altar and though man can beg him to come, man cannot take part of this salvation outside of the Spirit. It'll be established on man's wisdom and not the wisdom and power of God. And you know what he means there. Though the man may say, come to Jesus, you need to come to Jesus. They may say, by name, you need to come to Jesus. The bottom line is, when that happens, and that person comes, they're not coming to Jesus. They're coming to the call of the wisdom of that man. And that's of no value to the salvation of the soul. So it's to be roast with fire, the demonstration and power of the Spirit. And it's that demonstration and power of the Spirit that it's in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, Paul's preaching was not with enticing words, but by the demonstration of the Spirit. And if you come on down in this chapter to verse 7, what was he preaching? The wisdom of God in a mystery even the hidden wisdom, that that people were not able to perceive and understand, which none of the princes of this world knew. Had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It was hidden to their eyes who the Lord Jesus truly was. But you know how that's revealed to man? In the next two verses, verse 9, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, Neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, in context with this scripture, he's not talking about heaven. He's not. I, I realize that scripture at funerals and at different times is used in reference to heaven. But in context of this scripture, he's talking about preaching the Lord Jesus, not in man's wisdom, but in the power and demonstration of the Spirit, and that that work of God in Christ on the cross was hidden to the world. And the princes of this world, they didn't know who Jesus was, and if they had recognized Him as the Son of God, they would not have crucified Him. But it's hidden to man. Man in the flesh cannot eat of the Lamb of God except the Holy Ghost be there to reveal who he truly is. In verse 10, the same chapter, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Holy Ghost is there, revealing to the heart of man who Jesus is, and revealing to the heart of man who man really is. And maybe people think, well, I don't need to know who I really am. Man has to come to the realization of what he is by the Spirit of God because by nature our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. By the Word of God, man in his natural state, that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. 
And so man, left to his own devices, believes he's all right. But the gospel, by the power and demonstration of the Spirit, that revealing of the Holy Ghost, this is what Paul said, Romans 7, verse 13, Sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. So, was that happening before the gospel? It certainly was. But the man, Paul, was unaware of the sin that was in him and the death that that was bringing upon him. Not a death in the grave, but a death spiritually in the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. Paul was lost, and that sin was bringing him before God guilty in a condition that he could not withstand the judgment of God. But the gospel and that revelation of the Holy Ghost of God revealing to him, it made sin appear to him for what he really was, and that sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. Paul was a sinner before by his own testimony, but he didn't realize it until the Holy Ghost the fire of God burned within his heart. And then, and only then, could Paul take of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, until then, no man will be able to take of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Must be roast with fire. Not raw, nor sodden. So man tries to water it down greatly today. And he tries to make the meal of the Lord Jesus, and we're talking in parables here, but the sacrifice and salvation of Jesus more palatable to man. Tries to make it a work of man, easier for man to take in. And what you see is you see love preached, and certainly God is a God of love. But you do not see sin and the wickedness of man preached. But the law, an important part of the redemption of Jesus Christ, the law in Romans 3, every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. So just like in Romans 7, where we looked, Paul became a sinner by the Holy Ghost revealing to him the depths of the law. Well, here, the law was given that I would be guilty, that I would look to a sacrifice to atone for my guilt, the Lord Jesus Christ. But that watering down, that'll never get the job done. It's by the power by the demonstration of the Spirit, that man is able to eat of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. So it's to be eat with unleavened bread. And unleavened bread we will look at in the future. I'm not going to dig deep into it here, but we'll see the pictures of unleavened bread because our next feast is that feast of unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs. So you're not to spice this up so that it tastes better. But it's to be eat with bitter things. So this is not a feast to the pleasure 
of the flesh. And I believe we could see that in a few different ways. But the Lord Jesus himself, what a bitter death that he suffered and died that we could have this salvation. <clears throat> in Matthew 26, the Lord Jesus is in the garden and he's praying. And he prays three times famously. Well-known scripture here. And what does he pray three times? Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And again, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. So the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ what a bitter death that he was facing. And Lord, if there's another way, let this cup to pass from me. He was not rejoicing. He was not in a place of great joy. But this was a bitter time. This was a, a, a very difficult time. In Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. So the Lord Jesus, there was joy. And the joy was the salvation that was going to be provided to his sheep, to the elect of God. But... He endured the cross and despised the shame. It was not a time of pleasure and joy and rejoicing when he was on the cross and when he was suffering the death of the cross, a very bitter time. And you know, for us, the time of the eating of the Lamb of God, what joy that that brings to be redeemed from the clutches of the devil and to be set in the kingdom of God as a child of God and to escape hell and to gain the eternal life of God in heaven. But at the time of eating, it's a very bitter time. Time of great warfare and struggle within. You remember Paul the Apostle when he was converted on the road to Damascus, that was a very bitter time for Paul, wouldn't you say? That he realized that he was against God the entire time. A man that thought he was doing the right thing and was serving God, he's now found out that he's been opposed to God and he's been working against the Lord the entire time of his life. And that he needed to be saved. And in blindness... He sought God for mercy and for forgiveness and for grace and for help. And God said to Ananias, Behold, Paul, he's down there and he's praying. What was he praying for? For deliverance in great bitterness. So the lamb was to be eaten with bitter herbs and roast with fire. 
And remembering this now, back in Exodus 12, all of it was to be eaten. You couldn't leave out any part of the lamb. And that that was left, that that couldn't be eaten, was to be roast with fire so that nothing was left to waste. Well, I'll say the Lord Jesus and His sacrifice will not be wasted. Though man may reject and disbelieve, and the majority reject and disbelieve, the lamb that was slain for the church of the living God will not be wasted. There will be none of that left behind. God will not forsake His Son and His sacrifice, but He'll be exalted through it all. And you know this, for a man to be saved, he's going to have to take the whole of it. He's going to have to see his sin, realize his guilt, realize his uh, danger of the eternal judgment of God. And he's going to have to take the blood of the Lamb of God that was slain for his sins and say, I'm a sinner in need of redemption. Outside of that, there is no salvation. So, Exodus 12, verse 12, or verse 11. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. Ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. What urgency is placed on this sacrifice? God says, I'm coming this night. You better eat it and eat it in haste with your loins girt and your shoes on because you're coming out tonight. Judgment is coming tonight. And in the New Testament, what haste there is placed upon receiving the salvation. This is not something to be put off for a week or two. That's what the devil would like. The devil doesn't tell folks to well. Don't worry about that. You don't need that. But what the devil would like is just to convince you to put it off for another week. Put it off for a little span of time. You'll get that right eventually, but put it off for now. We don't see that in the New Testament. We've got the parables of the virgins, the parables of the men with the pounds, the parables of those being shut out of the kingdom. We've got the Lord Jesus speaking that little parable of make sure with your adversary while you're in the way, lest he deliver you to the judge. And we have in Hebrews over and over again, today, while it's called today, harden not your hearts. And in Corinthians, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. This is to be something done in haste because at any moment we could be brought before God. And if we've not taken part, the judgment will find us. So it's to be eaten in haste. And in verse 13, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So the blood 
That's the means of escape. It has nothing to do with who the people are, what they've done in their life, who their family is, nothing to do with anything but the blood. The Lord is looking for the blood of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. That's the weighty and the important part. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This redemption of Jesus is not based on any work that man's done, but it's by the application of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and that alone. There's not to be hope placed in anything, but the blood is the token, and God promises that the blood is sufficient to redeem. God has promised. God has testified. God has proven by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead that His sacrifice is sufficient to atone for man's sins and to escape the judgment that's yet to come. So if man would come to the Lord Jesus, he could escape the judgment of God. He could be found to be righteous and justified. But it is only through the blood. So one more verse. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. Ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So God here establishes the law of the Passover. And as a memorial of this day, this feast was to be kept at this time every year throughout their history as a memento. Now, every year that they eat this Passover, they were not coming out of Egypt. But it was a remembrance of the coming out of Egypt every year. This was a day that would not be forgotten. Well, to those that are saved, they'll never come out of Egypt again. They'll never be saved again. But what a memento. What a memorial that they have of the mighty work of God that brought them out of the power of Satan and into the kingdom of the Son of God. In Colossians 1 verse 13, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So that this work of God through the Lord Jesus brought this deliverance and they have a memorial of that for the rest of their history.
and to those in the New Testament that are saved and born again. They have a memorial and a remembrance of the work that the Lord Jesus done in their life for their salvation. So we'll stop there for today. Uh, that finishes the Passover. And I realize a lot of things we missed. We moved really quickly through a lot of that scripture. Uh, great, great wisdom hidden. And no doubt a lot of things that could have and probably should have been said. A lot of things that could be seen that we've looked over. That's always the case with us. We're weak and beggarly elements. But we hope the Lord could help you through His Word. We hope this has been a help to you. And next time we'll look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We love you. Hope you have a wonderful week. Pray for us.